This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and I'm joined on the other line by Jeremy. Something different. <laughs> How's it going, Jeremy? Yeah, not too bad, Daniel. You didn't mention we were brothers. Well, I was going to get to that. I've managed to rope into another Melbourne supporter to the podcast, and it just so happens that he's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what better time to get him on the podcast than yeah. after a crushing win to Melbourne that no one really saw coming, at least not by this margin. Yeah, another sucker of the last 20 and 30 years of Melbourne football. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but uh, you know, there's good times to be had, or at least the last month or so. So what were you thinking going into the game, gems? What was your thinking of what was going to unfold? Um, honestly, I, I wasn't confident. <clears throat> I was giving Melbourne probably at best a 50-50 shot. And that, yeah, we would really have to rely on some key players to, uh, to snatch the win there. Probably being uh, one of the main ones, May, coming back into the side and, you know, of, of course, Gorn in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that says a bit, even just what you're saying there, like a 50-50 shot against Richmond. Like, you would have really taken that any of the last couple of years, like... Richmond's really been one of Melbourne's bogey teams for quite a while. They've been beating up on us for quite a while, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, last year and probably even 2018, when we made the prelim, you wouldn't have given us much of a shot at all. So, nah, I think I think not. the supporters and the, and the playing list are <clears throat> definitely feeling some confidence. Yeah, so that was kind of my thinking as well. Like, if uh, if they were ever going to do it, it was probably this game. Richmond has had a slowish start to the season. They're still playing relatively well, but Melbourne has obviously come out all guns blazing and uh, it was all set up for a big game. So I thought as long as the back line stood up and uh, we could get that forward pressure going, then uh, we were going to be in with a good shot. But yeah, still wasn't overly confident. Been scorched too many times before, I suppose. <laughs> mm. I mean... The feeling from uh, neutral supporters was pretty similar. I asked a few people during the week what they thought of our chances, and um, they no no one said that you've got no chance and you'll lose. They said it's yeah, going to be yeah. it's going to be tough. It should be a good game, and I yeah. think you guys are in with a shot. I think that's what a lot of people were saying. You know, Melbourne just had to stand up, which they did, and I guess they made a bit of a bold call at selection as well by leaving out both Wiedemann and Ben Brown. So setting with that settled lineup, bringing back Fritsch and May, who'd been playing most of the games, just missing the one. But I really like that call because it's been really working with that forward mix, not having too many tools there and being able to put on enough pressure. And I thought that'd be really important against Richmond, who do like to you know rebound pretty well. And um, I think if you're playing too many tools against Richmond, it's uh, a little suicidal. <laughs> mm. you need yeah, to be I've, I've heard from record. plenty of people this week and you know with Melbourne's 5-0 record coming into the game if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah exactly all right well <laughs> um just one other thing I wanted to mention before we get into the crux of actually what happened in the game was a bit of a substandard crowd of just 55k so I guess a few things probably contributed to this they would have sold a lot more tickets than this just I don't know, what was it, like half an hour, an hour before the game, it did start belting down in a few of the outer suburbs and probably kept a few people away. And uh, I guess there's the whole just COVID thing, a bit harder to get a ticket. It's a bit of a worry though, like if you can only get 55k to uh, like a marquee game like this, what's going on? Well, I think the main barrier is 
people still just with the, the all the COVID rules and you know some people struggle or, or can't be bothered going through the whole booking system they used to rely on just going to the game and you know, yeah rocking up buying a ticket and it was all good but yeah it's a bit more complicated this season so you reckon it's more just apathy rather than people staying away because they're concerned about COVID? Just I too would hard. say so, yep. <laughs> Probably not going to change anytime soon. Well, it's still good to see a rel- relatively large crowd there, although there weren't too many Richmond supporters from what I could see, <laughs> at least not where I was. <laughs> no, I think there would have been a bigger crowd if it was a Richmond home game. And, um, you know, Melbourne supporters are pretty notorious for being fair weather, so I think the wins will bring the crowds. Yeah, And then, of exactly. course, in the finals as well. So it was good to see so many Melbourne supporters there, at least. All right, let's... We, we outnumbered them for once, I think. <laughs> for sure. All right, let's get into the game proper. So, geez, the first 10 minutes, we're looking, we were looking a bit shaky there. So Melbourne had a very slow start. Richmond had ramped up the pressure and were looking every bit the uh, defending Premier. What were you yeah, thinking we early on? Yeah, we didn't even score, I think, until about halfway through that quarter. It did look like sort of the same old Melbourne here for a little while. They just didn't seem to be going in very hard and it all looked like it was going Richmond's way. Mm. But like, they did seem to settle down. So they dried up the scoring for a period of time, didn't allow Richmond to get too many goals on the board through that period. And then um, when they got their chance, it was Salem from, I think it was just outside 50, who nailed a nice long goal. So it was good to see that they were actually able to settle. And I guess that's been a hallmark of their play in the first month or so. When they have been challenged in games and when it hasn't been going their way, they have actually found a way of turning it around, which has been really pleasing. Yeah, I think even though we got smashed in the first half, or really the entire first quarter, like Richmond, I felt, dominated play. They had most of the ball. But um, even still, you have to give big ups for Melbourne's back line for withstanding the onslaught. Um. Yeah, I reckon you know, you're the, right there. The, the goals that Richmond kicked were not easy. Like, no. You had, you had that, you know, skillful slash flukish goal from, from Rewalt at the beginning. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, I felt like Melbourne's back line really kept them in the game there. Like, if, if, if that back six wasn't performing or, you know, a couple of them were out or if it was another team's back line, they could have been down, I felt like, by six or seven goals at quarter time. Yeah, I think they had another sort of three or four really open chances. And whether it was by a little bit of good luck or good management, Melbourne were, were in the right position just to, you know, cut that last little bit off to stop them scoring. So I think it does show that the back six is well structured, even under huge weight of inside 50s as Richmond got early in that game. Yeah, I think, I think it was a bit of both, for sure. All right, so things really did start to change towards the end of the first quarter and into the second. Melbourne's pressure started to match Richmond's and then surpass them. So this was, I guess, where Melbourne really won the game. So in, during this period from late in the first quarter to halfway through the third, they kicked seven straight goals. And it was T-Mac who was sort of baking, uh, breaking the back of Richmond's resistance with back-to-back goals from about the same spot, 40 metres out. He was on the scrap heap, but <laughs> he's performing now. Jeez. Yeah, I know. He looks <clears throat> he looks almost as good as 2018, which uh, has been a big surprise, I think. People were calling for his head, thought we should trade him. So it's good to see him performing well. No one wanted him, did they? And now look what he's doing. So 
It's such a hard thing to get like a key forward into your team from a different team. And, um, you know, they don't grow on trees and no one wanted him in the trade period. So making everyone look a little silly, including yeah, Melbourne. Yeah, maybe someone will be that decision now. Yep. <laughs> I guess no one really I, saw this coming, did they? No, like in, in that period that you were talking about where we kicked all those straight goals, it, uh, it didn't seem to just be uh, team act. I mean, it was, it was a team effort. And, but for sure. Like, the, the clutch goals that sort of gained our lead that we held for the entire game, uh, I think they came from... T-Mac had two, obviously the two in a row, but I think Fritch kicked a couple as well in that period. He seems to have worked out his kicking yips. He's, I don't exactly know what he's done, but he's looking much more fluent on his set shots. I think it's just after kicking a few, he's, he's gaining a bit more confidence. He's a bloody good mark for his size, though, as well. Like, do you reckon he's turning into one of the best sort of medium forwards in the comp? Um, oh, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, who, who are you comparing him against? There aren't really that many players in his mould, I suppose. Like, I guess it kind of reminds me a little bit of Toby Green just in terms of how good a mark he is. But I guess Fritch is a bit taller than Green. So there's not mm. too many of these little sort of hybrid forwards who are, you know, a really good mark for their size, but still not actually that small either. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got some pretty big competition in the AFL, like uh, Oscar Allen from West Coast, Jack Rewalt are probably similar size. So I didn't like realise he was that tall. I thought he was a bit shorter than those guys. But uh, no, he's about one ninety, I think. So he's okay. definitely he's definitely in the conversation. He's a really um, good kick as well, like field kick. I mean, like go. He's a good guy to have bringing the ball inside fifty as well if he's not the one marking it. Yeah, you're not seeing that from him too much, though. He's he's more. I feel like he's playing pretty deep this year. He is playing a, a bit deeper, forward. but yeah, I think Melbourne's definitely a better side with him in it, and he still does seem to be able to put on some pressure, even though it's not his probably his absolute strong suit. He's still willing to do it when it's his turn. Yeah, well, Melbourne have other players for that at the moment. <laughs> the That's true. Line. All right, so back to this seven goal burst. Mm-hmm. So. Luke Jackson was also getting in on the act, and this is probably his best game for the club so far. So either side of halftime, he was getting on the end of some great Melbourne chains. I think both mm. his goals were pretty deep, but uh, his work rate really stood out, and he was making some great contests. I think this is easily his best game. What did you think of Jackson? Yeah, he was he was awesome, really. Um, just a couple of things on those goals. I just watched the replay again this morning, and... He ran a long, long way to get to to kick both of those goals. It might have looked simple because he was just on the end of it, but I think in both plays he ran, you know, fifty to a hundred meters of hard running to get to the position he was in. Yeah, absolutely. His mobility really is standing out, and in some of these ruck contests he's going up, he's actually like once the ball hits the ground, he's competing really hard as well. So he's looking like. He's already vindicated being taken pick three this early into his second season. I think Definitely. Got I mean, who, got, who was taken ahead of him? Was it? Yeah, I'm um, not sure. But uh, <laughs> he's doing the job for a pick three. Like, it used to take years for these sort of guys to develop, but he's hit the ground running, that's for sure. Yeah, especially at all. I mean, what's impressed me is uh, his aerial ability. I heard some comments, I think it was on ABC Radio, they mentioned that he never he never gets beaten in the air and ever since that comment I've just been watching him and I can definitely say that's the case I I almost never see him get outmarked and then he he takes plenty of grabs himself 
He gets up really as high well. as well, so it's just really hard. Yeah, like I can see why that would be, because he's just getting up that high that even if he's not marking it, it's always coming to ground in a decent spot. So He seems to position himself well, and then he's got the height as well to be able to yeah. make he's contact natural, with the ball. Mm. Natural footballer, for sure. I think like the way he's working with Gorn is really good as well. So I think Gorn's kind of calling the shots when he's sort of pushing forward or back, but... Jackson's spending plenty of time in the ruck, and I think it's actually helping Gordon as well because when he's going into the ruck, he, you know, is a bit more energized and he can be a bit more effective. Not that he was ever not effective, but we're not, just not running him into the ground like mm. we were in past seasons. Yeah, Gordon's impact is huge this year, and you can see it. He's he's the best ruck in the comp, I think, by by a fair way this year. So yeah, this really was the period of the game that broke Richmond's back it was really tense in that first half like every goal was like gold it was really entertaining game even though it was so low scoring it was heaps of pressure and yeah it was Melbourne who just managed to break free they were just uh winning their share of the clearances and flicking it around until they could find a spare man and they were working really hard for each other I thought just to provide that option and they did did seem like they outworked Richmond during this period is that the impression you yeah, got, well, Jim? That's, that's one thing I wanted to mention. Even in, the, even in the first quarter when we were down by a bit, um, Melbourne's pressure was huge. And like, although it wasn't going their way, you know, they were getting killed in the inside 50s, they didn't change the way they were playing and what had been working in the last few weeks to get all those wins. For sure. They've got a lot of faith in the way they're playing right now. And like a win like this is only going to give them more faith. I know it's super early in the season, but... You know, you gotta you gotta build up this sort of uh, trust and ability over a period of time. And yeah, it's early, but you know they can't be doing anything more than what they're doing right now. Mm. Yeah, it was impressive for me to see like th- that they didn't panic because honestly they were getting smashed and you know by the premiers <laughs> from last year. Yeah, but they managed to wrestle the game back in their favor and then win by a fair amount. So it was an impressive game from the D's. I feel. And in the last couple of years, that's been one of the biggest problems Melbourne's had. Once a team's got a run on against them, there's almost no coming back from that. They would give up between sort of four and six goals in a row pretty routinely. So Mm. they do seem to be able to halt those types of swings at the moment, which is fantastic. Yeah, which didn't really happen. Even when Richmond looked good in patches, I think they really struggled to kick, you know, more than one goal in a row. Yeah, I think so. And like I think that's just highlighting how well Melbourne was set up behind the ball. Obviously led by May and Lever. Lever had, in particular had a fantastic game, but Tomlinson doing his job on the second tall and uh, you know, just keeping the ball in front of him. He's playing within his limitations. So Yeah, the back I think six we'll, we'll is talk a lot impressive. about the back six, but maybe we should continue with the rundown of the game, Daniel. Yes, let's uh <laughs> jump back into it. <laughs> All right. So, what else did I have here? So, basically, what I saw one of the biggest differences looking at some of the stats from this game um, was the efficiency going forward. So, the two teams had almost the same number of inside fifties mm. and uh, same number of scoring shots, but Melbourne was just so more, so much more effective. They were getting the ball in far quicker in much more dangerous spots, and there were. In comparison to Richmond, even when it looked like Richmond was out, Melbourne were able to fold back, get their wingers back deep to support the defence. It was stark difference what was happening at either end as each team was trying to bring the ball inside 50. 
yeah, it seemed like good gut running by the Melbourne defence to stop a lot of those goals that, that should have been scores or goals from Richmond. I guess one thing we haven't really mentioned is it was a bit wet, particularly in that second quarter when Melbourne got on top. It did start to rain uh, on and off, and I think that did actually seem to help Melbourne. I don't know, maybe the big bodies around the ball just made it a bit harder for Richmond in, with those greasy conditions. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. All, I, all I'll say is that with all those goals in a row, Melbourne made it look dry. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really look like a wet weather game, did it? All right, so... During this period, Melbourne built roughly a, what was it, around a six, uh, five goal lead. And there was a bit of a period in the third where it was kind of goal for goal. It was all happening. There's a couple of centre bounce goals each way. And uh, I guess this is where Richmond were really mounting their charge. But man- Melbourne managed to hold them off, continue to keep them at bay. That's the third quarter, was it? Yeah, the third quarter. Yeah, got pretty manic there for a while. Oh yeah, there was there was some good scoring, but um, Richmond could never really get that that run on. Like whenever whenever they hit the scoreboard, Melbourne were almost back immediately to you know to maintain their lead. Yeah, absolutely, and I think they only kicked three goals after quarter time, so it just shows how effective Melbourne was at actually slowing them down and getting back. Yeah, Richmond... even when even when Richmond were pressing, um, Melbourne they won the last three quarters. Richmond did have quite a few scoring shots, but most of them were from tricky spots. And like, I guess that's just another thing about, you know, how well structured the defense was. They weren't giving up easy shots or just making critical errors like they may have in the past. Yeah, I felt like their kicking wasn't very good as well. They might yeah, have the kicking didn't help. Wasn't for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So basically, all that was left to do was have a good start to that last quarter, and. Uh, the game would have been pretty much over. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Melbourne had a nice chain down the uh, far wing, the southern stand side, and it ended with Petrarca gathering about 40 out, surrounded by a couple of Richmond defenders and yeah. got the ball on the boot pretty quickly. And that was pretty much all she wrote. <laughs> Bursting out of the pack there, just looking like a classic Petrarca goal. He loves it on the run, doesn't he? May as well just... Uh, Play on from his set shots, I reckon. <laughs> oh, he he's just insane. He's so strong and powerful and fast. He's almost like the prototype sort of pl- player that you'd want in your team now. The way the game's played, like so strong around the stoppages, good burst of speed, and you know he's good on the snap. Maybe if he could improve his set shots, then uh, <laughs> he would be the complete prototype player. Well, it's working at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Just as long as he can get the snaps instead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's not I was, too bad I was on the surprised to see actually, because um, you know how in, into Supercoach I am, Daniel. So I was, uh, yeah. I was looking at the footy wise stats, and Petrarca is over 100 kilograms. He's a big boy, but he doesn't really look it, does he? Like, he looks super fit and, like, chiseled. <laughs> well, it used to be a criticism that maybe he had a little bit of fat on him, but. I don't know what he's doing. It must just be lean muscle because he is almost as powerful as you'd see in the AFL. I guess there was a period of time there where he looked like he was trying to do a bit too much. This is going back probably three or four years now. He would get tackled and caught in tackle a lot. And uh, yeah, I guess he was criticized a bit for that, for just not giving giving it off quickly enough. But Trying to be a bit too much of an individual. Yeah, yeah. but now he's strong enough to do that and he's combined, he's combined that, uh, you know, 
this the bursting out of packs with bringing others into the game. It's pretty awesome to watch, actually. Yeah, it was a definite dusty performance from Petrarca in Dusty's 250th. <laughs> Just to rub salt into the wounds for Richmond yep. supporters. Yep. Sorry, Richmond fans. They won't <laughs> yep, be listening. So that, so. <laughs> <laughs> most likely not. So that took the lead out beyond uh, six goals at that point, and uh, you could tell that the, the air went out of the game a little bit at that point. So... Melbourne, while they were still going in relatively hard, it wasn't the frenetic pressure that they were putting on in that second and third quarter. So I guess they knew they had it won and didn't want to spend too many more tickets in the sort of last three quarters of that last quarter. Yeah, they just held them off, which is a skill in its own. You know, it's not like they were trying to chip the ball around and not score, but just held them off nicely with with good team play. Yeah, Um, just weren't going as ruthlessly, which you don't need to when you're up by, you know, 35, 40 points. That's right. So it was, uh, I guess, just a marker of how dominant Melbourne was that they could actually sort of, uh, you know, slide into the finish a little bit there. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about how Melbourne actually won this game. So we've gone through some of the specifics, but there was a few other things I just wanted to touch on quickly. So... We've talked a little bit about the defence, but it's just, I guess it, they've almost got everything at the moment. They've got the tools, they've got the interceptors, they've got the runners. It's all just, it's all just working, isn't it? You've got the, you've got Hunt bursting out of defence, uh, taking a bounce or two every now and then. You've got Salem setting up behind the ball, designated kicker almost, and the tools that we've already talked about. It just seems like. And Hibbert as well is going through there as well, and he did a fantastic job nullifying Dusty in the first half while he was yeah, on the absolutely. ground. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, there's just so much to like about the defense. They look like a really complete side. I mean, and it's the weird thing is it's the same side almost with, you know, a couple of additions. You know, you've, you've got Langdon on the wing, but the, the side is pretty much the same, but they're just working together so much better now and, actually transitioning the ball, whereas the last couple of years, even in 2018, there were just errors galore. But it's amazing now how they're, they're actually able to move the ball effectively by hand and foot through the midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Like It is more or less the same side that they've had for the last two years. I guess more last year when they got those you know, three great guys in through the draft, Pickett, Rivers, and Jackson, but... Essentially, it's the same side. They've had these guys there. It just hasn't been clicking. And for whatever reason, uh, Simon Goodwin and the rest of the coaches and obviously the guys putting in the work around the club, it's just clicking now. And they are playing like a team. And they've got stars on every line. They've always had that since 2018. But now it just seems to be gelling for whatever reason. Definitely, yep. Which is great to see for Melbourne fans. (laughs) Absolutely. Finally. And I guess one of the other things I wanted to quickly highlight is when they are sort of trying to move the ball forward, they're now more often than not taking the easy option. They're not going for like the glory kick all the time. They're they're giving the handball, they're giving the short kick just to keep it moving forward. And things just sort of uh, open, open up for you when you do that. You don't always have to, you know, take the hardest, longest option. I think Melbourne's doing a much better job of retaining possession as they're moving the ball quite quickly down the ground. Mm, yeah, some short play, you know, pinpoint passes. I think their running ability has a fair bit to do with that as well, being able to find space. 
for sure. And the fact that you've got the man on the mark rule now as well, you can hit more of those short kicks a little bit more easily. So it's probably helped them a little bit as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at Melbourne's possession numbers last night, I think we were way up in overall possession and handballs as well, which it just shows you it was working. For sure. And that was one of the other things that I noticed in this game even more than the other ones, and I guess it's probably a marker of the pressure that Richmond puts on. Sometimes around these stoppages when Melbourne was under pressure, they were doing, you know, between sort of four and six handballs to actually get it to the guy who could actually, you know, effectively do something with it and get a decent kick. And in previous years, they might have been trying to do something similar, but they wouldn't be able to hit that many handballs. It was a turnover. Yeah, it was a turnover. (laughs) Let's just put it out there. It was a turnover. (laughs) It wasn't a clearance. So that was a huge difference. And I think it's almost like Bulldogs-esque in a way, what they were doing around the stoppages against Richmond when they were using that handball. I guess they like to use the handball a fair bit to get through the traffic as well. So it was interesting to see that they had that to add to what they were doing around the stoppages as well. Yeah, and no, I know I do listen to your podcast, Daniel, and I know you mentioned a few weeks ago about uh, Melbourne using the wings of the MCG. Oh, that's so- right. That was a while ago now. That was one of the things they had to do to win the premiership, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and they, they are doing it, but like... It's a wide it, ground. You've got to use all that space. There's so much space to attack down there. Mm, when, and Melbourne, Melbourne at the moment, they have the pace to do it. For sure. Um, but, it, you know, it's not their only option. They're, no, no. They're also going quick through the middle. But yeah, like if Langdon or Hunt finds a bit of space on one of those wings every now and then, they can bring it through the... Yeah, they can just get a transition so quickly. So it can yeah, be really both dangerous. of them are just slicing up teams at the moment when they get a run on, which is awesome. So one of the other things I know we're you know laying a lot of praise on here, but just really quickly, this is one extra thing I wanted to add in here: just how well the wingers and some of the mids are actually getting back to support the defence. So mm. the number of times Brayshaw in particular is getting back to fill a hole in defence and either just pressurizing the marking contest or just making sure it comes to ground. Like he didn't do that last year or the year before. So he they must have, you know, redefined his role a bit. He seems to have a much better understanding of what the what the coaches want him to do, I reckon. Yeah, I mean what is Brayshaw's starting position? Is he on the wing? I think most often he's starting on the wing, yeah. Mm. Maybe a little bit of half back, but I think it's mostly wing, yeah. Because they I remember they Melbourne tried that with him when we had too many inside mids and it just wasn't working at all. Maybe it's yeah. just a bit of, I don't know, experience in that role and a, a bit of change of role also trying to drift back. Yeah, I think so. Maybe he's just bought into it a bit more as well. He, he might have been a bit like, you know, I'm a midfielder, why do I have to play on the wing? Mm. <laughs> so, like, there's probably a combination of things. Maybe he's talked to Langdon a bit, you know. He's uh, kind of the wing expert, so... <laughs> for whatever you know, reason whatever he's done it's working well it's working let's, let's stick with it yep <laughs> so just before we came on air you were telling me a little bit about the last time melbourne was six and oh how long ago was that yeah so i think on fox footy they were saying it was in 1965 was the last time uh melbourne was six and oh it's a long time ago yeah which <laughs> which was the the year after our last premiership. And it was also the year that Melbourne sacked Norm Smith. Ooh, that's an infamous year. 
<laughs> I know. I think a, a few Melbourne fo- faithful are probably aware of the uh, the curse of Norm Smith. Mm. Um, legend. His what happened? He was. I mean, he won the premiership as coach in 1964, and then was sacked, as far as I know, by Telegram in '65. Yeah, I think it was after a pretty woeful start to the season, but even it wasn't even that bad, I don't think. And yeah, you got the sack via Telegram, and they realised they'd made a pretty horrendous error, and they tried to bring him back, but but he the, wouldn't come. He was just no, heartbroken. He w- yeah, so like, you know, it's basically your most decorated player and coach to do this to him it was it was pretty horrid and yeah I guess that's what people have uh, coined the curse of Nom Smith because yeah so obviously... legend tells that his ghost now haunts the Melbourne Football Club and we won't uh, <laughs> win another premiership <laughs> and so far this has been quite accurate so yeah. I think you were telling me a bit about this a few years ago, the fact that he's actually buried in New Zealand. So it's it's not an easy thing to try and reverse this curse if it is, in fact, a thing. It must be a strong spirit if he's haunting us from New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, there's a statue of him at the MCG. Maybe, uh, maybe we can play, pay some sort of penance there. <laughs> mm. It's not a bad idea. I think at this point, Melbourne fans will do anything for, for a premiership. <laughs> Exactly. Well, um, just for... back to the six and zero starts, I guess. Yep. So Fox Footy posted a stat of Melbourne's six and zero starts. So how many were there? There's been seven of them in our history. We've got eighteen ninety seven, nineteen twenty eight, thirty seven, fifty five, fifty six, sixty two, and sixty five. Few which... Premiership years in there. Yeah, a couple. Of... When were the Premierships? Uh, I'm just fifty five. Yep. 55 and 56 yeah. were premiership years, so two out of seven record there. Not bad, but not great either. You'd be, if you think, I would have thought it would have been slightly higher, especially how dominant Melbourne was through some of those years, but, uh, you know. It's at more least... than 20%, so I think <laughs> more than 20%, yeah. at the start of the year, well, I'll give you a 20% shot of winning the premiership. <laughs> they, would, they would have grabbed at that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So hopefully, you know, a good omen. Obviously, still a long way to go, but... Uh, yeah, just to even be having a conversation about Melbourne and premierships again is pretty amazing just from how low things have been the last couple of years. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz around Richmond, around Melbourne and Richmond, or Richmond the suburb, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get you, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just fun, isn't it? Like, to have a team that's actually playing well. Like, obviously, we've had a lot of uh, down years where it's been pretty hard to turn up week after week knowing your team's going to get belted but feels like we're past that for yeah it's it's really exciting and speaking to the fans you know everyone feels that this is the best we've football we've played since probably 2000 or in recent memory even better than in 2018 yeah absolutely i think it's a lot more structured than in 2018 and not so much so helter skelter so Mm. hopefully it can take them a fair way and i guess first goal is to lock in top four because you know, if you're going to contend for a premiership, you've got to finish top four, really. So I guess that's the Pretty first much, goal. Yeah. Unless you're the Western Bulldogs in whatever <laughs> year that was. 2016. Yeah, that was a bit of yeah. a fairy tale, wasn't it? Yeah. All right, let's zoom out a little bit now to finish off. So I've got a couple of uh, questions to have a go at here. Just thinking about Melbourne a little bit more so generally. Just before you continue, we haven't really mentioned Christian Salem at all. 
Ah, uh, yes. I feel like we should talk about him. All right, let's go back to Salem before we get onto these last couple of questions. What did you want to say about Christian? Well, first of all, just the sheer weight of numbers that he had last night and has had over the you know over recent weeks. I think halfway through the the second quarter, he'd already had twenty one touches, and you know it's it's not it's not just the numbers. He was like he is pinpoint accurate with his disposal, and he really stood out in a bit of a greasy game. I know we're saying it wasn't looking like that much of a wet game, but he still really stood out with how effective he was in the conditions. And you could tell Melbourne were really trying to get it to him to, you know, be spotting out those kicks and it was working really well. Which they should. I mean, that's why I feel like they're a pretty well-rounded defense. I mean, he's, he's your avenue out of halfback and he rarely misses, which is just invaluable. And he got a couple, like, pretty... He was about sort of 60-55 out. We referenced the first one where he actually kicked the goal. I'm not sure whether he was actually going for goal, but he, he did sail was, through. He was. He was? Yeah, that was and Mel- there was, Melbourne's first goal. Yep. And there was another one where he went uh, pretty long to the square. I can't remember who was in the square, but I think we got a goal out of that as McDonald's. well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's dangerous all over the ground, and if we can get him enough of the ball, I think it's always going to be a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what impressed me about Salem last night was it wasn't just the ball being handed to him. Like he was, like he was tackling hard and he was winning the ball around the contest as well. With, with re- good ball use by hand and foot. So, like, it, he was amazing last night. He's a really well-rounded player and uh, very consistent as well. He rarely has a down game. So, mm. and I, they've locked him in for another five years, haven't they? Yeah, which is which is fantastic. And obviously, they got him to the club in that infamous trade uh, where they gave up pick two, which became Josh Kelly, and they got uh, Dom Tyson, and I think it was pick eight or nine that they used for Salem. So uh, it's always been a little bit of contention around that. But uh, I think now, you know, 90% of Melbourne supporters, maybe 100% (laughs) would be happy enough with that trade. I know Josh Kelly's had some fantastic years, but... Yeah. I guess Salem is what Melbourne needed at the time and he's what they need now, really. Like he's probably, you know, their best user out of defence. So I don't think he probably that he he's, definitely he's is. their best user he, period. He's I easily, mean, yeah, the best yeah, user they, out of defence. Again, Fox Footy had a stat last night. I think the disposal efficiency by foot for Richmond was about fifty, Melbourne was sixty, and Christian Salem was seventy five. So <laughs> that just shows you yep. how good he is, even in the wet. And he he doesn't Usually just go for like, you know, the dinky sidewood kick either. Like he usually is taking a bit of ground and they'll they'll get through the air pretty quickly. So he's not mm. trying to do the easy option all the time either. No, very good things from Christian Salem. And uh, he's not even underrated anymore. I mean, all, all the commentators know how good he is and what he can do. So Big ups for Salem. Yep. All right. That's a good segue into my question here. And I had to think long and hard about this one. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have, but who is Melbourne's most important player at the moment, Jim? What do you reckon? Um, it is a pretty hard question, but I still don't think you can go past Max Gorn. <clears throat> he is All in, right, justify. <laughs> he is in such amazing form. Um, I think the main thing with Gorn is that there's no one else that can play his role in Melbourne's side. Mm, so, yeah. <clears throat> you know... He beats every Ruckman in the comp. Um, 
He's drifting forward and back and taking contested marks. He's even, you know, doing the ground ball around the contest and getting, you know, 20 touches, getting clearances. So if, if you take Gorn out of that side, it really throws their system, I feel. You know, you're relying on Jackson and, and, uh, and T-Mac in the ruck. So for me, Gorn's Melbourne's most important player. I agree that he's doing a lot at everything you said there. I still think Melbourne probably could cover him. Mm. Like, not he, not someone... People wouldn't be able to do exactly what he's doing, but I feel like there's someone else who we can... who it's harder to cover than Gorn, and I'll get to that in okay. a second. But I, I um, think I can guess who it is. <laughs> we'll get there. I just wanted to say one thing about Gorn mm. is... I don't know whether it's just been this year, but, like, he seems to be doing this thing where he just... He looks like he's moving relatively slowly, but he just gets like all his body weight going forward and he's just sort of like making a beeline and it seems just like no one can lay a hand on him, <laughs> even when he's in traffic. When he's he just, got the ball. Yeah. yeah, when he's got the ball, he just sort of, I don't even know how to describe it. He just starts getting all his momentum going forward and no one can lay a glove on him. <laughs> he's like a lanky Scott Pendlebury. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He is a big bloke, Daniel. I mean, what would he weigh? 110, 115 kilos? Yeah. Uh, that just, wouldn't be easy to tackle. It just looks funny because, like, you've got this really big, lanky guy. He's not even that moving that quickly, but no one seems to be able to get anywhere near him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's surprisingly good with the ball. Yeah, he is, he's actually improved his disposal. Yeah, All plus, right. he's kicking goals. You know. Yeah. Okay. What more so, can you ask for? <laughs> no, Gorn is awesome and great decision to make him captain. Of course, I think he's doing a great job as a leader. Yeah. All right. You said you thought you could guess who my uh, most important player at the moment would be. I'll, I'll give you one chance. Who do you reckon is my most important player? Who is more irreplaceable than M. Gorn? Stephen May. I did think about May, but no. Cause I, and I, I know it's only one week, but mm. as we so, sort of saw what happened when May went out. Melbourne still held up pretty well. And yeah, I, I first thought May, and then I thought Gorn. And then I thought T-Mac. But for each of those, I think Melbourne can actually cover those guys in one way or another. Mm-hmm. The guy they can't cover Petrarca. is Petrarca. Yeah. He's the game breaker. He's gone to a new level this season. He may not be getting the stats, but he did last night. Mm. But no one can do what he does. He's that strong around the contest. He's that clean Melbourne. with the ball. He's... He's that good at finishing inside 50, and he's a strong mark. Like, you can't replace that. If he went down, Melbourne loses their game breaker, and, you know, then you just can't replace that. No, you can't argue with that. Yeah. You've, you've got similar players, so I don't feel like Melbourne wouldn't be losing without him, but they wouldn't be as impactful. Like, Oliver's very good. He gets a lot of the ball. He wins it around the contest, but he's... He doesn't have that game-breaking ability, as you said. <clears throat> and these are the guys you need to win big games. And, like, by any measure, you would say for a round six game, last night was a big game, and he turns it on. Like, if you're going to be wanting to win knockout finals, you need guys like Petrarca who can be the game-breaker. So he would be the last guy I would want out from a Melbourne perspective in a big game. Absolutely. Yep, good call. <laughs> took me a while to get to that because uh, there's so many other guys that you know you would think are super important, but I feel like he's the hardest to cover. 
All There's right. no other Christian Petrarca in that side. Yep. Absolutely not. Jeremy, does Melbourne have the best defense in the league currently? Yes, it does. <laughs> Simple, who, bold who, call. Who are the rivals to this? Like, I guess Bulldogs are conceding very few points with mm. not necessarily the biggest names. West Coast has a solid defense. Uh, they've Which got a few out at the moment. A lot last year. Yeah. Night, yesterday. <laughs> so, like, we talked a lot about Melbourne's defense already, so I don't want to go over that again, but they do just seem to have all the bases covered at the moment, and even when it looks like the opposition is out, more often than not, they're finding a way to stop those forward thrusts or at least limit it to a point. So They have been, yeah. And they do have the best defense. Like um, The two teams you mentioned, West Coast and the Western Bulldogs, uh, West Coast ha- have been very good in the past, I think, with their, their tall defense. Who have they got back there? Um, Barras, McGovern, who's an awesome interceptor. They're just very hard. Um, Hearn and Shepard as well. Yeah. Very solid. Good users of the balls, of the ball, big bodies. Um, Bulldogs, I don't know a lot of the Bulldogs defenders, honestly. I don't know what sort of players they are. Um, like, obviously, they haven't conceded much score this year, but that could be due to their opposition. I feel they've had you know, a couple of big wins against North and Gold Coast. Yeah, and I think the midfield is getting back really well to support the defense as well. That's what so, I was going to say. Like they're, yeah. they're winning the ball hugely in the midfield, so I don't think their defense is under as much pressure as Melbourne's has been against a couple of these you know, better sides. I guess Richmond's another one we should probably throw in there. Very good defense over a long period of time. I'm just, yeah, well, you've got Hooley and Short, who are sort of their main distributors out of defense, but I'd almost take, you know, Salem and Hunt at the moment over those guys. I know that's a bit controversial probably but mm. yeah i don't know if i was if i wanted a defense to concede the least points possible like if i was betting on it or you know for my life i would be picking melbourne at the moment so yeah it's, it's just got, it's just really well rounded i was thinking about this this morning um you've got may who's taking like the biggest and best forward still getting plenty of the ball himself um you've got lever or sorry tomlinson who's playing his role i think on the second tall or second most dangerous forward, which frees up Lever to play his interceptor role. Um, you've got Hunt providing speed out of the back. And he's still pretty good at defending as well. Like He's quite accountable at the moment. That's he's... right. Like if, if you know May goes off the ground, Lever can take the number one forward and he can still play one-on-one. Then you've got you know Salem, who's just this slick ball user. So that... Like they're really well rounded and and good ball users, all of them, which is which is great for, you know, Melbourne coming out of defence, getting the ball moving forward. And I guess the biggest thing is they're just bloody hard to score against. Like that just underlines that. Like what did Richmond kick last night? Forty eight, I think. And most of the teams Melbourne's played haven't scored more than sixty four points. I think St Kilda got seventy two, but. Mm-hmm. They're really keeping opposition to very low scores. So yeah, Melbourne are very, very stingy this year. <laughs> <laughs> Long may it continue. Yeah. All right. So what does this result mean for Melbourne going forward? So obviously we've talked about the six and zero start. They've mm-hmm. got another run of games, which on paper looks winnable. Like, what does this actually mean for them going forward? Um. Well, I think for a start, Melbourne fans can 
like we are going to play finals. I feel after that start and the way we're playing, and you know we've we've got some very winnable games coming up. Is that Melbourne will win enough games? I think to to play finals. Yeah, first um, thing. Yeah, yep. you you probably don't want the players thinking that. Of course, you want want the belief, but you don't want any complacency from them. You still need them to give every effort in every game. Um, it gives us like the perfect chance for a top four finish. <clears throat> yeah, what do you need to finish top four? It's roughly sort of fifteen wins. I think you would you'd very rarely miss out with fifteen wins. So that's that's the challenge, I guess. Once you've qualified finals, is to get those fifteen wins. Yeah, probably sixteen to be safe. So amazing chance for top four. Um, and I I think in terms of the opposition though, like that. This big win against Richmond means that no team is going to come into a game against us being complacent. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's kind of two ways, isn't it? Because Melbourne gets the belief in what they're doing, but now everyone else looks at Melbourne a bit differently. <laughs> yeah, no no one's going to be coming in with their eyes closed, so Melbourne will have to be prepared for a fight in each game. <clears throat> so plenty to like from what's going on from a Melbourne perspective, of course, we've almost talked for 50 minutes about how well things are going. <laughs> but this one last one to finish on, should we make any changes to the forward line going forward? So a lot of people were quite surprised that Ben Brown and Wiedemann, or at least one of them, didn't come in for this game. Mm. What are, what's going to happen going forward here, Jim? Well, any that ideas? was my question, so I, I'll ask you first. <laughs> yeah, okay, well... I think I might have mentioned this right at the beginning, how well the forward line is functioning with, you know, the small guys there, particular Spargo and Pickett putting on a lot of pressure, but really all the forwards are being able to put on pressure and it's a huge difference compared to last year in particular where opposition would just walk it out. So I feel like you do, if you have more than two, you know, big tools at the moment, it's Tom McDonald and Luke Jackson or Gorn if he's resting there, mm-hmm. switching with Jackson. If you've got more than those two tools, it's really hard to put that much pressure on. And that's kind of what Melbourne's attack is, you know, being based on at the moment. This relentless uh, pressure in that forward half that's really keeping most opposition at bay, even after, you know, they've got the clearance or whatever. So I would be really worried about bringing in another tool. So for me, if you do want to bring one of those guys in, you almost have to move McDonald out of the forward line, which I wouldn't really want to do either at the moment on current form. So if it was me, I would probably be just holding firm until McDonald or Jackson has a bit of a dip in form, which I don't necessarily see coming. So yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm. Leave him in the VFL for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really tough call because Melbourne are performing so well. But on, on the same hand, you know, we we did so well to get Brown in the in the trade period, who's like a proven goal kicker. So like if you said this at the start of the year that Ben Brown couldn't get a game at Melbourne, people would laughing. think you're crazy. <laughs> You'd be absolutely laughing. <laughs> um I Yeah, it's a tough call. I don't think we should make changes, but then again, like the next few weeks probably provide the best opportunity to try it. So particularly next week against North Melbourne or maybe against a side with, you know, a weaker or a shorter defense to, to I, I'd put Ben Brown in there 
as you, yep. as your marquee forward, and then maybe take out one of the one of the Melbourne forwards who aren't such in having so much impact. Maybe Melksham, <clears throat> and and just see how it goes with all those tools in there. Yeah, I guess Melksham doesn't put on a heap of pressure either. So, like, I guess you could try it against some of these slightly weaker opposition, but it is, you know, a little bit dangerous. You can't take anything for granted, but at some point they're going to have to try it, I suppose. So it would be interesting to see what it looks like. You can't have him playing VFL all year. I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, it, someone might make way for him through injury. So we'll just well, see how it plays out. In 2018, Tom McDonald did play that sort of roaming wing role quite a bit and like, you know, getting up the ground, being the option coming out of defense. I think he's actually quite good at that role as long as his mobility is there, which seems to be at the moment. So, and he can still drift back inside 50, like with the play as well. So I think that's definitely something they could try if they didn't want to play the three tools outright. Mm. It's a good dilemma to have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for a long time. Well, last year, I think, I referenced this in an earlier podcast. The leading goal kicker was Fritsch with 21. So hopefully we can uh, improve on that this year. Although I, I, I think, think Fritsch is yeah. probably... He, he's, I think he's kicked 12 now. Yeah, so he's probably... In five games. So. Um, on track to be the leading goal kicker with Tom McDonald a little behind. But uh, yeah, goals are flowing from a few different sources, which is great. Yep. Well, that's pretty much all we had planned for this episode. So... Uh, thanks for joining us if you were a Melbourne supporter and uh, I'm sure you're very happy with what you saw last night and for everyone else who's not a Melbourne supporter probably be uh, more keen to tune into our regular episode of Footy Time which will be released <laughs> in a couple of days time but yeah hopefully you took this opportunity to learn a little bit more about Melbourne and yeah what better chance to do these uh, podcast than after belting Richmond eh? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. And, enjoy uh, it, D's fans. Get to the games, buy a membership, and um, enjoy the ride for 2021. Thanks for jumping on the line, Jim. Some really interesting analysis there. No worries. Glad to do it. All right. Tune in next time for more footy time, guys. See you later.